0: Hello and welcome to this Gresham Lecture, which I've entitled What Medicine Can Learn from Restaurants About Care. I'm Roger Nebo, Professor of Surgical Education and Engagement Science at Imperial College London and Gresham College Visiting Professor of Medical Education. I lead the Centre for Engagement and Simulation Science at Imperial College, where our aim is advancing human health through simulation. And I also jointly lead the Center for Performance Science between Imperial College um, and the Royal College of Music, very close um, to one another at South Kensington. Over the course of the last um, series of lectures that I've given entitled, Performing Medicine, Performing Surgery, I've explored the idea that medicine is is not only a, a, a science, of course, there is an enormous amount of science in medicine, and, and not only a set of skills, but, but is also performance. And that the practice of medicine takes place at an intersection between those three domains. But as a patient, it's the performance that we're most aware of. Whenever I've been a patient, I've, I've kind of taken for granted the the, the the scientific knowledge and the individual clinical skills that a clinician has, and I've I've experienced their performance, and that's what I want to explore in this lecture today. And I'm going to start by taking you to the operating theatre, first phase of my career. I trained as a as a surgeon, a general and trauma surgeon, um, and and I'm going to to point out one or two things about this. Um, this scene of a surgical operation. First of all, the team. In the middle of the screen, with her hands in the patient's abdominal cavity, is the lead surgeon. Opposite her is her first assistant. On the left of the picture, as we look at it, uh, the scrub nurse with a tray of instruments. Um, Towards the right of the picture, the anaesthetist at the patient's head, and then on the extreme right, another member of the anaesthetic team. When we look at a picture like this, we, we might see it, we often do see it uh, as an instance of a patient who is ill or injured, uh, who is undergoing medical treatment, the site of the application of scientific knowledge and clinical skill to a specific individual. <clears throat> but um, we can also look at it in other ways. And I think this image um, <clears throat> this a well-known image, which which can be seen as a, as a duck looking to the left or as a rabbit looking to the right um, is interesting because. What you see in it depends on how you choose to look. And, and and once you understand how it works, you can easily flip between seeing it as a duck or seeing it as a rabbit. Well, what you can't do is to have an amalgam of the two. You can't have something that's a bit of both. You're, you're moving between either one or the other. And I think when we look at the operating theatre, something similar can happen. We can see it as a site of the application of scientific knowledge, as I've just said, or we can see it as a site of Teamworking or craftsmanship of people working together under pressure, uh, or as a site of care, and it's the, this idea of care that I'm going to explore um, in in this lecture. But I'll start by just showing you a glimpse of the beginning of this operation. The patient has had a uh, an injury, and the team is trying to make sense of what's going on. A bit of blood in here actually, so let's
1: pack the four quadrants. Okay, oh dear, quite a lot of blood swelling up here. Don't worry, that's the retractor, so we'll get that back inside so you can see what we're doing. So we'll reattach really
2: the suction right. underneath, we'll underneath there. Suction
1: there. Okay, can have suction on, please? Okay, okay, all right, and let's pack
0: again. So here we have these very skilled members of a surgical team working closely together. The lead surgeon is working with the assistant surgeon opposite her. Here is another example of a surgical procedure. It's the same lead surgeon. We see her in the center of the picture and she is putting in uh, a a suture in a a different operation, assisted again by uh, another member of the team. Um, but this time a different one. We've joined the operation just for a few seconds. And now, um, uh, would you mind this? so um, I just want you to come up right, just Do
2: you want to get on the-
0: So here we see something. That uh, happens in operating theatres all the time. A surgeon ties a knot in a structure uh, and the assistant cuts that knot with a pair of scissors. The difference here is that the first assistant is not clinically trained, in fact, has never been in an operating theatre before. This is Johnny Lake, who was at that time the head chef of the Fat Duck restaurant in Bray, well known restaurant just outside London with three Michelin stars. It was established by the chef Heston Blumenthal a number of years ago. And I first started working with the team from the Fat Duck a number of years ago after being introduced by Professor Barry Smith, professor of of philosophy at the Institute of Advanced Study in London. This collaboration with the Fat Duck team began when they came up to London to spend some time uh, with me and my colleagues in, in the research Group that we run. Um, and there we invited them to take part in that operation, which, just to reassure you, was not a real operation. It was actually a simulated operation, as indeed was the first one I showed you, a realistic simulation of what goes on in the world of the operating theatre, but without, of course, any d- danger to, to a real patient. Um, after the fat duck team had come to experience some aspects of surgery, they invited uh, some of my colleagues and me to go down to their restaurant and see what happened behind the scenes and when we first got there, I, I knew very little about about restaurants and and My idea was that there would be there would be interesting similarities between the world of surgery and what goes on in the kitchen and indeed um, and indeed there were there were similarities in the way people work very closely together, doing very precise things under under pressure, very often having to negotiate. Uh, hot surfaces and sharp instruments dealing with um, with with uh, ingredients and producing dishes of extraordinary consistency and precision in the kitchen out of view and then those dishes were were, were taken out by the front of house, house staff um, through a connecting area called the pass into the restaurant where the diners sat. And I realised after after watching this for a while that, that actually perhaps even more interesting than what goes on in the kitchen is what goes on in the, in the dining space itself. And Dimitri Belos, the front of house manager, whom we see here with his back to us, briefing his team just before the afternoon service begins, um, is acutely aware of the need to um, ensure that each Diners experience is as good as it can possibly be. And when we started talking about this, it, it, it made me realize that, that, that we are both of us concerned with looking after people, whether that's patients or diners. We're concerned in a word with care. So that led to a a project, a simulation based project with members of the general public, which we called Let Me Take Care of You, whose idea was to explore how dining and surgery could shed a light on one another's practices. We set up two simulations in various places around the country. Uh, The first one invited people to come and take part in uh, a, a representation of coming to register for a day case operation, surgical operation to take place later that day. Uh, And here are members of the public um, playing the role of somebody about to have an operation, although, of course, they didn't actually have an operation. And then uh, alongside that, a simulation of of a restaurant where uh, members of the public would come and, and, and sit down and be presented with a menu they wouldn't actually be Uh, presented with with food, but they would go through the initial stages of entering a restaurant and being looked after by the restaurant staff. And here's a brief glimpse of of what we were doing.
1: So I spent some time at the very high-end restaurant, the Fat Dark restaurant in Bray which is a three-Michelin-star restaurant, very famous. It is not only known for its very amazing food, but their really dedicated focus and customer experience. So we wanted to know what is that customer experience that they deliver. What is care in a three-Michelin-star restaurant? And can we learn anything from it? I also did some observations in a major trauma hospital in London and I also observed very excellent care over there. Now it's a very different environment, of course, but they also do very good looking after people. But clearly it's a very different setting. But it's all underpinned by care. Now we know, for instance, from the restaurant industry that if the food is great but the service is bad, it's not really a great experience. So we want you to experience today some of the principles of care that we distilled from those observations. Thank you. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: Fernando Imran. So this, um, this collaboration allowed us to, to start exploring areas of intersection between the world of medicine and the, 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 the world of the restaurant and fine dining. And at about that time, um, I was fortunate enough to meet Joseph Youssef, the um, founder and chef patron of Kitchen Theory in North London. When Joseph and I started talking to one another after being introduced by a colleague of mine at Imperial, we started to recognise that there were there are ideas and principles in the world of um in the world of, of dining and the restaurant that could perhaps be applicable more widely. And the first of those that I encountered was mise en place. Now I hadn't come across this term before, um, but Joseph explained to me that it's uh that the idea of mise en place is dinned into uh, into everyone in the in the culinary world from day one when they first go to culinary school. The idea of being systematic and ordered and Uh, having a a system which allows you to know uh, where all the ingredients and the implements and the tools that you're using, where they are, uh, but also a bigger picture of how the system you're in works, how your part feeds into what other people are doing and how you must be able to lay your hands on things that you've prepared earlier, often quite a long time earlier, and and in a word, be systematic. And although I hadn't come across this term before – I I, I realised then that, of course, there is something very similar in the world of medicine, in the world of surgery, particularly um, in every operation. As I pointed out at the beginning, there is uh, the scrub team, uh, a scrub nurse, very often more than one, uh, whose job it is to keep track of instruments and materials, swabs, sutures, make sure that everything that's used comes out safely, uh, if if it should, um, and, and keep a track of things and be able to be able to put their hands on. On things that are needed instantly, and then put them back in the proper place. But but soon I realised that this is a principle that you see much more widely than that. So here is a here is a, um, a wood carver at the City and Guilds of London Art School, and here are her instruments, her chisels, her wood carving instruments, laid out in a way that to me is very similar to what we saw in the operating theatre. Catherine Coleman is a a glass engraver uh, and at her workbench here in front of a a, a lathe, we can see that on the right there, there is a rack of grinding wheels and tools that she's able to reach out, put into her lathe and then put back almost without looking. And another example, the workshop of the late Stephen Gottlieb, very distinguished lute maker, and we see him here surrounded by, again, an orderly array of objects and instruments and tools that allow him to put his hand on whatever he needs when he needs it. So we some colleagues and I began to explore this idea of mise en place at Kitchen Theory with Joseph, whom you'll meet later, um, to to explore the idea that mise en place might play out in other areas of expert practice. Joseph invited me, uh, one of my colleagues, who's a nursing scientist from Switzerland, and two other expert colleagues, one Beatrice, a domiciliary wound care nurse from Bern in Switzerland, and the other Kirsty Flower, a a molecular biologist from Imperial College, to explore the areas of possible common ground. And we started off with Joseph inviting us to see his, um, his kitchen theory premises, and explain to us a bit about what he means by mise en place. So here we are in his kitchen, uh, the number of work surfaces, storage capacity, of course. And to begin with, he demonstrated what he means by mise en place by showing us how he prepares a fish. First of all, um, meticulous attention to cleanliness and uh, having everything organised so that Um, so that different functions are kept in different places, the instruments, the tools that he uses, the space he has for uh, throwing away um, skin and scales, in this case, uh, while making sure that the parts that need to be clean remain clean. So after discussing his approach with the members of the group, we then took it in turns to demonstrate other areas of practice. So Beatrice Kayser, who is the domiciliary wound care nurse I mentioned, spends much of her time treating and dressing people's wounds at home. Some of them might be leg ulcers in elderly patients, say, or people with vascular disease, sometimes people who've had injuries, sometimes people who've had infected In needle tracks, she, many of her patients are drug users, for example. Uh, And so she has to deal with whatever she finds when she goes to see somebody at their home. She has to, um, she has to to work out how to create a a system in the moment for ensuring that the things that need to be kept clean and sterile are kept clean and sterile. And she's able to distinguish one from the other. And here we see her laying out a, a sterile blue towel on the table so that she has a space in which she can bring other, um, other pieces of equipment to bear as she is working around that individual patient. Kirsty Flower uh, is a postdoctoral molecular biologist an epigeneticist from uh, at Imperial College London. And here she is describing the kind of work she does in her laboratory workspace. She's showing the, um, some of the equipment and the apparatus that she needs. Uh, in this case, she'll be doing some pipetting. Um, and she she pointed out something interesting while she was demonstrating this, which was that when she learned to do these laboratory procedures, she followed the setup that, that had been prescribed by her mentor. Uh, and it wasn't for quite a long time that she recognized that she was encountering problems with this. And it turned out that her mentor was right-handed. She herself is left-handed, as we see here. And And it took her a while before she realized that she had the ability to organize and reorganize her workspace so that it allowed her to work in the way that was most convenient for her. So there's something about uh, mise en place as a a, a means of of developing a way of working that is effective for you, whoever you are. So at the end of that discussion, um, Joseph and his partner Lulu here showed how they um how they bring all this together to create in this case a, a dish where that fish that we saw being prepared um, comes to life in the in the context of uh, of a, a dish for a restaurant diner. a little while later I. Um, led a symposium at Imperial College London, which I called the Art of Performing Sounds, where we brought together 65 or 70 different people to sit at tables for the, for the day, explaining to one another the things that they do with their hands. And this brought together, it brought out other principles rather like the mise en place. Um, But in this case, about the use of tools. And we see here at this table with his back to us. Right of the picture is Derek Frampton, a taxidermist. In front of him is a magpie that he's been, um, that he's been working on. On the left of the picture, Charlotte, uh, was at the time the statue conservator at the Victoria and Albert Museum. A number of other people at the table, uh, have brought objects and instruments and tools that they use in the course of their work. And I think you can see that there is a lot of common ground between these, these instruments. They use forceps and tweezers, all kinds of things that, that actually uh, is often quite difficult to tell which ones came from which expert. And by this process of, of uh, discussion and exploration, we were able to tease out points of common contact. So here's Joseph, the chef on his, uh, on his right, to the left of the picture, we have an orthopedic surgeon with her back to us, is a is the frame conservative from the National Gallery and a number of other experts around the table and through this process of discussion, we are able we have been able to identify points of similarity points of connection and in the second part of this lecture, Joseph and I will be doing exactly that exploring some of the points that we've found um, overlap or coincide between our areas of expert practice. Now just before I finish, I'll mention another project that, uh, that Joseph and I and um, one of my colleagues at Imperial, Professor Alan Spivey, Professor of Synthetic Chemistry, have developed together. It's called the Chemical Kitchen. And
1: the idea here
0: is deliberately to cross boundaries. Undergraduate students who come to Imperial to study chemistry have very high school grades in A levels, but they haven't always had a lot of experience in doing laboratory work when they've been at school. The project, the aim of this project is to provide a means of people to practice the skills that they're going to need in the chemistry laboratory at university without having to feel abashed if they don't feel very confident yet, because we're asking them, we're giving them uh, a means of of practicing techniques that will be useful scientifically, but are actually taking place in the kitchen. So by creating dishes like this one here, um, the students have to be very precise. They have to measure things and weigh things very accurately. They have to do things consistently. the same way every time they have to keep uh, meticulous records. They have to do all kinds of things that resonate with the chemistry laboratory, even though they're making um, a dish like this one here. So in the next part of this lecture, Joseph and I are going to explore some of these ideas that I think lie at the heart of his practice as a chef and my practice as a clinician, namely care for other people. So at this point, I'm going to stop this introductory lecture and I'm going to introduce to you uh, the chef patron and founder of Kitchen Theory, Joseph Youssef. So Joseph, maybe I, can, maybe I can start by asking you just to say a bit about yourself and the, the kind of work you do and, and, and how you got there.
2: So I am the founder and chef patron of Kitchen Theory. Uh, my background is as a chef. Uh, I worked for many, many years in some great restaurants in London. In your presentation earlier, you showed the Fat Duck. That was somewhere that I'd done a placement in um, about over 10 years ago. But aside from that, I'd worked in Michelin-star restaurants like at Rose and at the Dorchester. Um, I'd always, I guess, been fascinated with um, the science kind of aspects of cooking or or, uh, the broader idea of um, kind of gastronomy. And um, I ended up meeting uh, Professor Charles Spence from Oxford University about 10 years ago. And um, I started we started kind of researching together the weird and wonderful world of multi sensory flavor perception. And this kind of took me on a journey to was realizing there was so much more and just cooking um, that was important to, the, uh, to the, the the role that I play that being a chef and designing food experiences for people and um, about eight years or, or seven years ago we started kitchen theory and we're an experimental design studio so we design multi-sensory experience food experiences for um, big brands, and uh, it could be anything from car brands like Audi or, Sim- or Audi, uh, or it could be electronics brands like Siemens or Samsung. And we design experiences um, uh, that are immersive and engaging and uh, kind of uh, engage people on every sensory level. Aside from that, we host our chef's table, and um, that's where we bring people into our design studio and we host them for the evening with 10 courses. It's 12 guests, so it's quite immersive and intimate as an experience. And there's projection mapping on the table and we work with audio designers and artists and um, all sorts of collaborators, including psychologists and uh, so on to design the experience.
0: So Joseph, it sounds sounds from what you're saying as as if the nearest thing you you get to a, a sort of what people would recognise as a as a restaurant experience. Is your chef's table where you you have people and, and, and they come and they, they come for the evening and they have a series of dishes put put in front of them, but not just not just sort of set down. You're you're you're, you're kind of it sounds like almost telling a story.
2: Yeah. So you know, uh, without it sounding too trite, we like to take our guests on a journey, um, and to do that because it's twelve guests. We, uh, they, they all dine at the same time at a shared table. Uh, in some cases, it's groups of friends and family that know each other, but in some cases, it can be, um, you know, uh, uh, six different couples. Or so. Um, the each of the dishes is really designed based on research or work or stories or ideas that we find interesting around our work, research, and gastronomy. So that could range from Mexican mythology because of my personal love of Mexican cuisine and culture and having uh, traveled over there. And we'd worked with the Mexican embassy in 2015 on a project. And so that has left a kind of indelible mark. Similar uh, experiences with, let's say, traveling to Japan. But then some dishes can be all about um, uh, engaging, about experimental psychology or can be about um, uh, the Stories behind the ingredients and um, uh, foods or techniques that we use in the kitchen
0: so 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 this is about this is about creating an experience it, it sounds as if you're you're focusing on what is experienced by the people who come and sit at the table It's not just the food on its plate and the processes that go into creating a dish it's how that dish is is perceived is, is, is that fair to say
2: yeah so you know a lot of this story starts with, we kind of started with multi-sensory flavor perception. Uh, that was where it's all about, not so much about the food, as much as how you perceive the food, your relationship with the food, the, the sensory relationship that you have. So in terms of the things that you smell, see, touch, hear, how all of these elements, like even sound, it's not really considered, You know, if you think about flavor traditionally, it's all about taste and smell, your chemical senses we believe it really takes all five of your senses to come together in a congruent fashion for you to really appreciate an experience of uh, any food experience so um things like the sound of crunching um the sound of the ambient sounds around you uh we found that all these things can actually have an influence on your overall appreciation uh, judgments expectations um and likes and dislikes of food uh we found things like varying the colors of foods or um, uh, varying the, um, uh, let's say, textures. All these things can have a dramatic impact on people, how, how they um, enjoy uh, a meal in some way. So when we craft each of the dishes, that's kind of really where it starts with looking at how people are going to engage with the dish, how they're going to perceive the dish. But also, we take that out beyond the dish into the whole environment and atmosphere. So the lighting, the soundscape, the uh, theatrics of the delivery of each dish. All of so, this.
0: Yeah, no, no, sorry. So, I, I but I was thinking, Joseph. So, so, so there is a certain amount that that you can that you can kind of uh, design. Mm-hmm. In terms of what you've just been talking about, with the the, the the different senses and the and the crunch and the and the lighting and the story and, and and what you do, but but there is stuff presumably that you can't control because a lot of that will depend on who happens to be sitting next to whom and and how they feel that day and and a whole lot of sort of human things. Um, and, the, and the reason I'm asking about this is that I'm thinking about parallels between your world and and my world of of, of medicine and clinical care, but 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 you're, you're obviously very much aware of the importance of, uh, of the context and the group and, and the sort of social dynamics of what's going on, as well as what comes out of the kitchen. Um, and I, I, I suppose then, as the, as the sort of founder and leader of, of kitchen theory, you're having to, having to constantly monitor how people are responding. Say a bit, a bit about that, because that too has parallels, I think. With, yeah, with I, I would yeah.
2: say you're right. A lot of these things are out of our control, but that doesn't mean that we don't give them thought and try to um, orchestrate the best possible sensory environment that will. So w- i give you an example. As you know, when people walk in, uh, w- w- our studio is quite difficult to find. And we know that people, um, and we've kind of done this partially on purpose, so we. we did didn't want the kind of shop front. Um, by the time people come and you you bring them up to the studio, which is on the third floor, there's an element of let's say they're not exactly quite sure what the experience is about, especially people who haven't booked who have come as guests or uh, you know they've they come as someone else's guests or whatever it may be. And uh, you want to immediately try and transport people into a much kind of uh, you want to take them, transport them in some way. And so everything from what we serve them as kind of welcome drinks to what we, uh, the music that's playing to the environment we've set up in the kind of waiting reception area or kind of waiting area, as you would call it, before starting their experience, because we wait for everyone to start the experience together. So as people are kind of filtering in uh, at the beginning of the evening, we um, are mindful of trying to put them in the kind of right mindset and right frame of mind and um uh, so these are things that we can't quite control but you know we do a lot of things um like learning people's names so we've only got 12 diners and we're a team of five so uh we've you know over time learned how to uh learn 12 people's names an evening and um it's calling people by name and just being kind of familiar, the body language we use, the, um, I guess, uh, the expressions, tone, and everything that we address them with, all these things are things that we're mindful of, because all the team at some point engages with our guests. So, you know, chefs aren't traditionally so used to having to engage with guests, and sometimes they don't know how to, or they're shy, or they maybe don't have the kind of right mannerism. So, But for us, it's really important, because our the chef's table experience is, is all about um kind of great hospitality that includes great food but there's so many other elements that come with that.
0: yeah and that, that whole question of it being much greater than just the food is, is 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 something i want to come on to but but when you were talking it made me think of uh, at one stage in my career for quite a, a number of years i was a, a gp a general practitioner in uh, in wiltshire in a town called trowbridge and um soon after i joined my practice we we, we had the opportunity to build new premises and design them And and we we, we thought very carefully about how we could create the the sort of environment, let's say, when when people first came in, when they encountered the reception staff, crucial members of the team, of course, and then when they were in the waiting room, waiting, and and when you were talking about your guests coming and and being almost in a waiting room. And we saw a glimpse of that space in the the little video I showed earlier. Um, I think there's something, it's, it's easy to overlook, isn't it? I think the importance to a patient or a diner of those bits that perhaps the chef or the GP d- d- doesn't see as central or, or, or isn't aware of necessarily, but 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 those parts of the experience are really important in setting the setting the expectations and se- setting the the sort of right atmosphere, I suppose. Um,
2: yeah. yeah so, so I think a lot of it comes down to as well. So I, I you know, um, I, I, they say we live in an experience economy, and I think people do generally. Um, expect a lot more from experiences and a lot more uh, care and attention paid to detail, uh, and that goes an awful long way with people. And uh, whether it's in a in a in a surgery where you're wa- in a um, waiting room, or whether it's going for dinner, the devil in the detail, and the little things that you can do to um, either engage people, make them feel at ease, or whatever it may be, I think that goes an awful uh, long way with people in terms of you can have a um a great meal but if the waiter at the end doesn't kind of smile and thank you for coming or doesn't it's those little finishing you know sometimes you're walking out of a restaurant and all the team will be like oh thanks you know come again it's those little things that they don't necessarily have to do these things but it, it, it does leave an impression on people and
0: and so so part of your part of your work then i, I imagine must be trying to work out not only how that should be done but how to how to train or, or help other people to to be aware of those things and to become expert in them because uh, I guess you could have people who are extremely good at creating dishes in the kitchen but aren't necessarily um, so sensitive to to picking up signals around the table I, I don't know how it would work quite but it seems to me that, they, that there must be parallels there
2: too. Yeah, well, it's something that, um, I mean, at various times we've trained in the same way you would theater. There's a lot of timing with our menu and in terms of the sequence of service and um, uh, rehearsing for doing things like introducing the cocktail or introducing the dishes, the transition between projections on the table, the transitions in lighting, all these kind of things. It is quite, there's a, there has to be quite a degree of accuracy. Otherwise, you know, if the wrong projection comes on the table for the wrong dish or the wrong music, or you break that that dream for a moment for people, you you bring them to reality when those mistakes happen, and you don't want that to happen. You 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 want them, at our table at least, you're taking them this, them on this journey, and the moment you um, kind of hit a speed bump, or you jolt back to reality, that breaks the um, experience for them, and so. There's a lot of rehearsal that goes with that. So I was
0: going to ask you about that rehearsal because it sounds from what you're saying as if that, that apparently spontaneous natural um, flow of events is actually highly designed and and practiced and rehearsed. Yeah. And it it's spontaneously but actually there's a lot of preparation but, but that lies beneath it.
2: Yeah, and like any good theatre team, let's say, or, or ensemble, you you get better as time goes on and um What's interesting is when we do a new menu or when we have, um, let's say, you know, a new team member join or something kind of like some, one of those kind of variables uh, changes in some way, you'll notice that it affects the time in which we deliver the experience. So when we have new dishes on the menu, we'll tend to take anywhere between 15 to 20 minutes longer in delivering our experience. And that's just because we're, we're getting kind of used to it. But then what will happen is we'll start kind of again, um, kind of tightening it up, tightening it up, tightening it up. And it's a const it's it's a learning thing. So I will throughout service take notes that I share with my team because one thing I realized that I hated in kitchens was feedback in kitchens is extremely direct. That's where you get the fiery tempers. You get a lot of angry chefs and shouting and some people like that drama and some people enjoy that life. That's not really for my team or I, um, I, what I realized was you can get angry with someone about the sauce isn't thick enough, let's say, for this dish, and you can make a point of it there and then in the kitchen, And but it's much better to actually kind of sit down and address these things um, afterwards and uh, kind of take notes and review after each service with the team. It's that constantly reviewing and improving and reviewing and improving and it's constant it's a constant process of uh, tweaking the process as well. So, so this is a, a,
0: it sounds a bit like um, the approaches that a theatre director might take say or, or an orchestral conductor somebody who's 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 aware of the whole thing but isn't interfering at every moment is is sort of taking mental notes and then giving feedback afterwards when when people have stopped doing it and are able to think about what they've done
2: yeah that's a very good way of putting it yeah um i i do think that's one of the big problems in kitchens with uh people work long hours under stress and um you know sometimes mistakes are human right and they they happen um i i think the 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 one thing that is always important with me for me with that is the reason for keeping notes about these things as well as you start to see what are systematic kind of issues that you have that is it that we're not giving ourselves enough time? Is it that we're expect you know, is it that we simply don't have uh, the resources to achieve what, and then you know where the shortfalls are in some oh, so you So
0: you mean if, if you notice things going wrong, they, it might just be not, not just that one thing, they might be symptoms of a, of a deeper uh, problem or an issue or something that needs to be addressed systematically? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. So, so uh, as, as I said at the beginning, when, when I first started, I first encountered people from the fat duck and then you and I started having conversations, Um, I think at first I saw the similarities between our worlds as being at a, a rather sort of Detailed level, you know what happens in the kitchen with sharp knives and people working very close together under pressure in in, in, in um, you know stressful circumstances. And from my own experience in in the operating theatre, say, where in, in some ways there are there are clear similarities. But actually, the more I started uh, to have these conversations, the more I realised that that a particularly interesting thing was was not so much the Practices and the the individual procedures that we each did, but the I suppose our sense of the purpose of of the work what what was our work for? And when I started to boil it down in my own experience, uh, it seems to me that that caring for other people is what it's all about. I mean, there's a whole lot of knowledge you have to have, and particular skills and particular procedures, but actually those are those are really the means of expressing something, which is putting somebody else at the centre of the of the picture and trying to do something that will help somebody who has a problem. And, and when you and I started talking about it, we, we began to explore the idea of, of care as, as a, a principle that, 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 that we both felt was important in our very different worlds.
2: Do you want to say yeah. a bit about
0: how that might play out in, in your world of the, of
2: the restaurant? so um i i am fascinated and have been for years by this idea of kind of user-centered design so rather than us designing an experience that we think our guests are going to enjoy we put that from the guest perspective and think right what are they going to experience and what will delight them what will they enjoy and uh, that's difficult to do as well because uh, in any restaurant and even in our uh, experience at the chef's table it's um you get quite a broad variety of people so it's not trying to kind of necessarily um, uh, please one type of guest but it's really about looking for us at how um, you know you said yourself having that shared kind of goal and for our team you know you'll get the guests are the one that pay our bills right I mean the fact that they come to the table allows us to do what we do and so it's really important i remember working at the uh one of the big hotels in central london and we had a uh, a burger on the menu um that was at about i think 35 pounds in uh And I remember one of the team, when I was running the kitchen there, one of the team came up with uh, this burger that just looked substandard uh, for whatever reason it was. And the point was trying to explain, look, someone is paying £35 for this. Now, can you imagine paying £35 for this? And obviously I would say, well, no, I wouldn't. And they said, well, look, why do you expect them to? Just because you're assuming they have more money because they're staying in a place like this and you think that serving them something substandard is okay, whereas it isn't. And I think the people in who work in this um, business who who enjoy um, uh, working in hospitality they do it because they genuinely enjoy hospitality and service they enjoy delighting people in that way they enjoy seeing making people smile they enjoy and I think that's the people who um, both get ahead and do a really good job at, at what they're doing so that care element is is extremely important caring for the work that you do. And I think I saw the best example of this and I've always, you know, Japanese chefs are renowned for being the most incredible chefs in the world. And a big part of the reason is, is they really, really, really respect their work and their job from the smallest little task in the kitchen all the way uh, up to the top. it's, 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 It's that attention and care to the detail of their food. And that translates as well into care because they care about the quality of what they're presenting to their their diners or to their guests. And I think that's another thing, it's even in the language that we use, uh, our team will always call, we'll never call people customers, we'll always call them guests. There are certain things like that, that, you know, they're, they're our guests, they're not our customer because customer sounds very kind of transactional. It does sound
0: transactional. doesn't. It? And I think this this idea of guests, I mean, it, it sort of, it, it, it opens up the whole area of hospitality, in that more in that deeper sense, I don't mean in the sense of the of the hospitality industry, as opposed to the automotive yeah. industry, but hospitality as a, as a principle, and that principle of of generosity and of welcoming people into your space, essentially, I suppose, into your home, really, although. Um, it, it 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 obviously it, it comes out in different ways according to what sort of what sort of restaurants say i suppose people are, are are running but but nevertheless that there is that sense and you i think you alluded to it when you you said that these twelve people at your chef 's table would come along and they'd they 'd all stand around and they 'd have drinks and things until everybody had arrived mm-hmm. and and that sense that you are extending a welcome to people that goes far beyond simply you providing them with food and they then providing you with money. It's, it's, it's a different thing altogether, isn't it? It's a much deeper thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, um, I think people nowadays want more from uh, going out for meals than just simply having a great, you can, you can go anywhere in London and have a great meal. I mean, there's plenty, there's a plethora of restaurants out there that are doing great stuff. Um, I think what, as I get again kind of going back to this experienced economy idea I think what we're looking for more now is experiences that in some way delight us challenge us um, expand our minds in some way or or, uh, take us into different places and part of this as well is driven by things like social media where people like sharing these things and they like sharing experiences and and um, uh, uh, so on but yeah I I think the you know, when you look in the, in the French, a lot of French restaurants will uh, have shea in front of the name of the restaurant and it's like their home. And, you know, I think restaurants, chefs will always consider their restaurants in the, their home in a way. And um, it's, it's um, lovely to have people kind of come in. And you said, as you said, hospitality, extending it beyond just kind of hospitality industry is kind of that term, but looking at what hospitality really means and really genuinely welcoming people and making sure they're, taken, they're well taken care of. And I, don't fi- I find that's kind of a bit of a dying art in many places. I think hospitality has become very formalized and there are certain kind of boxes you want to tick, right? In terms of someone coming up to you halfway through the meal, are you enjoying the meal? You know what the funny thing is? We care so much for our guests. I would never ask someone through the meal, are you enjoying your meal? I would never, th- in all the years I've done this, I would never, ever, 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 ever think, unless someone looked like they were but I've never, haven't, thankfully I haven't seen that. But um, I, I mean, I, I would never think to ask that of but, someone, because it's such an informal cult. I they, you know, they don't really care. Yes, well, I, I, I had a fascinating <laughs> experience a, a while ago.
0: My wife and I were having a meal in a restaurant. Um, in scotland actually and and just a straightforward restaurant and uh, after the waiter brought the uh, the main course he then came back again a little while and he said is, is everything all right with, with with your main course but as he was saying it he turned around and was walking away um and so quite clearly he had no interest at all it was purely a formulaic thing and and it, it wasn't just a neutral thing it didn't just Uh, it didn't just make an impression, it actually had a very powerful negative impact on both of us because we realised that he actively wasn't interested. It wasn't, as you say, that he was assuming everything would be fine but offering us the opportunity to say if it wasn't. He was was signalling that he really didn't care and that he was on his way off to somewhere else. And I think these are subtle things, aren't they? Well that one wasn't particularly subtle, but I mean, you know, these are things that <laughs> that that they have a much bigger impact on people, I think, sometimes than 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 other people are aware of. And and I, 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 I know that applies in in the medical world, in the clinical world as well, where it's it's possible to go through the uh, to go through the motions or the or the steps of a procedure or or whatever in many different ways and you can do that in a way that that is in you know on the surface perfectly uh as it should be you're doing all the right things in the right order you're washing your hands properly you're 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 paying attention but you can do it in a way that uh that shows that you really care about somebody or in a way that shows that you really don't care about somebody and i think that word care i mean it comes out in 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 other words, doesn't it, you know, curating an experience, yeah. um, for example, I think is very much a question of, of taking, a, taking a broader responsibility for doing whatever you can to make sure that that person's experience is, is as good as possible to be. And, and obviously the, the purpose of the experience is very different in a restaurant from in a hospital or, or a, a GP surgery. But nonetheless, I think there are a lot of common points of um, similarity
2: yeah and i think um look care is care and hospitality is hospitality and we're humans and i think there's a lot of the same things like even just walking in someone you know again there are things that are kind of systemized in restaurants like someone walks in and they kind of or, you know people will smile to greet you you're expected to kind of do that if you're um a host up front um at the uh at the entrance i guess in medicine i don't know is it is it considered is that considered something that people, sh- is that expected when you walk in? Is that considered something that people are trained in, I mean? Uh, uh, I mean, I, I, who's he, sitting in the reception?
0: Yeah, yes, to, to, to a greater or less extent. I mean, I think it happens, it happens differently in different contexts. I mean, I think people, I think it's always possible to do that. And I think when you talk to people, and, and certainly from my own experience, when I've been a patient, when that happens, it, makes a, it has a very powerful impact. And it is really much, much more influential, I think, in setting the tone for what happens next than, um, than professionals sometimes give it credit for. And yeah. I think particularly when there's a lot of stuff going on and there are difficult things happening all around, that's one of the things that is... It's easy almost to forget how important, how powerful is the impression that somebody receives from uh, f- from the interactions that they have. And I think it's uh, one of the things I've learned from these collaborations with, with people in fine dining particularly, is, is how important it is to not, not only to to pay attention to other people, but make it evident that you are, and to pick up and respond to the often very subtle signals, especially at the beginning of an encounter, that give you a clue to people's state of mind. And, and allow you to do very often the small but important things that will help to make them feel comfortable or to make them feel welcome or to make them feel less anxious or whatever it might be, depending on, on the on the context. But I think, you, you know, that, that that awareness and that paying attention to other people and responding, I think, is a really important thing.
2: So I think in restaurants, that kind of stuff is um, expected. And as I said, that's why it seems quite contrived at times, the way it's uh, just you feel in some places that people really are just going through the motions um with it i think in a lot of fine dining uh over the years things have changed because it was let's say you know um maybe say even up to 15 years or so ago and there are still some places to till now that that will do this but where it's all quite stiff waiters and um they even their body language is quite stiff and the Um, service is quite cold and formal in some way because it's giving this impression of maybe being this fine dining temple or um, but you know I think of I meet a lot of people who have been uh, you know in some of the most incredible restaurants um, in the world and you'll find that people generally will say that the the restaurants that they prefer their favorite dining experiences Will have been in um, part. Of, part of it will have been based on great service that they've received, or that they felt really welcomed, or that. And if I'm honest, looking at a lot of the reviews that we get on our chef's table across platforms, so everything from Google to Travel. Uh, well, sorry, um, oh, I can't remember what they're all called, but Google and Design My Night and um, uh, uh, a few others. TripAdvisor. That's the one I can't remember. Uh, The interesting thing is to find that people will um, constantly mention our team. It's uh, really nice that they will constantly mention the warmth of the team, how knowledgeable they were, how engaged they were, um, how welcoming they were. And, and I think
0: that, that has interesting parallels because I mean, it sounds as if they're, they're not saying, saying so much about you know the, the seasoning in this dish or, the, or whatever it is, although of course I'm, I'm sure that's important, but it's, it's how the experience makes them feel, and, and in the medical world I think it's about how the experience makes them feel, because very often people aren't able to judge the other stuff very much, I mean they... they often, if they're having operations, often they're under anaesthetic, they don't, they, they don't have any awareness at all of what's been going on, or they, they don't really, they're not in a position to, to judge fine points of technique or, or whatever. But what they are absolutely able to judge is how the people they encounter make them feel. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think that, is a, that is an interesting point of connection, because clearly you're working very, very hard to, to keep that in, in view all the time and to adjust it and keep it on track if it's if it needs to be adjusted. And I think that's something certainly I mean, I think a lot of clinicians do that either because they have a sort of innate sensitivity, or they've learnt it, or they've studied it or, or a combination. But I think there is also room for improvement. And I think that and I, I'm quite sure there is in it, not all restaurants will be the same either. Um, but, but there are, I think there are things you can do right from the beginning. And, and one of the things I just wanted to touch on was that sense of apprehension i mean when people come to um to hospitals or or, or to gps or whatever they're, they're often anxious because they don't know what's wrong or or think there might be something serious and indeed of course sometimes there is um but but a lot of the sort of initial um part of the relationship i think is is learning how to put people at their ease and and give them the confidence that they're in safe hands and will be listened to and and it'll be a sort of partnership. And I. I I imagine that when people come to to sort of high-end restaurants they they might also have a sense of apprehension and yeah well it's interesting
2: yeah there there is um you know some people because look you gotta remember that a lot of people who are going to fine dining um experiences they aren't all necessarily you know millionaires who are dining out like this all the time a lot of people are coming for special occasions they're coming because they've seen this chef on Social media on TV and they're really excited by it and there, there's a certain nervousness that comes with that and You say well that seems ridiculous. Yeah, it, may, it might seem ridiculous but you know when you walk into places like Claridge's and if um, you know, you're not used to Frequenting these places on a on a um, Regular basis they can be quite overwhelming the doormen the people kind of welcoming and greeting you and taking you through You know, I think we've all um, experienced at some point like I remember going for dinner with my wife. I can't, where was it? Oh, right, it was in a central London restaurant. And uh, we got greeted by about five or six people on the way in, all kind of greeting. And by the fifth or sixth person, it kind of felt a bit overwhelming. And they were all doing it out of good, you know, it was all coming from a good place, but it was a bit overwhelming in terms of you, you know, you feel like, okay, when's it? And look, we work in the industry and we're used to this. So I'm just kind of thinking of, you know, someone who's not and is being taken here for his, their birthday or, uh, you know, their, their anniversary or something like that. Yeah, these things can be a little overwhelming. Not being, you know, looking at a wine menu. A lot of people feel apprehensive friends if, uh, or, or worried both because of the price or lack of knowledge. Um, yes, uh, and I, th- I think that feeling
0: of being sort of, at a disadvantage of being surrounded by knowledgeable people in something that you know very little about or nothing about, like a wine menu, for instance, or even how you're expected to behave, or, or you know, all, all, all those things, because a, a restaurant is a, I mean, it's a social setting, isn't it? It's 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 yeah. it, uh, not, not exactly like going into somebody's house, but I mean, th- th- there is stuff that you don't know until you get there how how it works. We need like cutlery. Yes, exactly, and I mean it's the same with. I think there are very strong similarities with with the medical world, what you can do, what you can't do, what you're expected to do um, you know what 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 are the what are the sort of uh, conventions if you like
2: well, I think that's really interesting is that idea of part of the fear is walking into somewhere where you feel a lot less knowledgeable like that, there's that sense of lack of control isn't there that you feel uh, as yes a dis- I think um, there is yeah.
0: absolutely there is and and on top of that is that that sense of anxiety very often it might be anxiety about whether you'll you you know whether the evening will be worth the time and the money that you've put into it and the expectation in your case or you you know the worry about about illness and disease and 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 all those things that are obviously there in the medical world but i think that that sort of undertove of anxiety is a really important one for professionals in both our areas to be aware of and to try and do what we can to acknowledge and 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 sort of help people um, uh, 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 mitigate it and reduce it as much as possible.
2: I think a big part of what's helped us with being so aware of this as well is really does boil down to the kind of broad range of disciplines that we work with. So, you know, I can think of um, people like Aphrodite Crasser who's an interior designer and actually has designed um, things like uh, Heston's Perfectionist and uh, Heathrow or, or all the ITSU um, outlets and you know it, it, she has a very kind of uh, interesting perspective and understanding on how space should work in terms of putting people at ease and, uh, and how hospitality. because you know hospitality is one thing but having the right space to conduct that within is also mm-hmm. really can can add so much to an experience as well Um, And I think working with people like Professor Spence from Oxford University, who's an experimental psychologist, and I think it has been that rich cross-disciplinary influence that has as well really kind of guided us towards having a better and maybe broader understanding of what our guest's experience should be. So everything from our space, the smells within our space, the music, so we work with um, people like Steve Keller, who's an audio branding specialist based in the States, looking at um, the kind of audio journey that we take people through. We've worked with people on looking at the kind of aromatic journey or scent uh, mapping that we've done on the space. So, you know, there are all these elements that it, it really does come down to as well, having worked with the right people.
0: I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it does. I mean, certainly I found that with, with a number of the collaborations I've developed with people, several of whom have taken part in, <clears throat> in earlier Gresham lectures in my series about, about performing medicine and performing surgery. Um, <clears throat> a magician, for example, and some puppeteers and um, uh, a, a classical improvisational musician, uh, for, for, for instance, all of these have provided me with different sort of shafts of insight mm-hmm. into a world I thought I was, I thought I knew, the world of, of of medicine. Because by exploring these these similarities and differences, I think we get different different perspectives. Um, but in your case, I, I, I guess the way you're describing your work this 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 must be quite unusual, because I imagine a lot of people running restaurants sort of that's more or less what they do and once they've got a uh, 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 an approach that works they it must be tempting to to stick to it but you're you're it sounds as if you're pushing yourself out into potentially uncomfortable areas where you're much less at ease in order to move things forward
2: well the, the purpose or the let's say our mission statement at kitchen theory um, and we kind of uh, this had always been formulating in the background but by 2017 we kind of articulated it as one mission statement which was improving global well-being through innovations in gastronomy and so in order to be able to innovate within gastronomy we really do need to be working with people who are from very varied and different disciplines so uh, from Imperial for instance we at the moment are working on a project with uh, Kirill Vaselkov, who is a computational scientist and runs the dream lab um, um, uh, at imperial looking at using ai uh, artificial intelligence and um, essentially identifying cancer beating molecules that exist in ingredients and our work together is looking at how you can use this information towards creating nutritious and delicious foods that could potentially be used to optimize people's diets in some way Uh, We're most interested, I guess, in things like drug food interactions, Um, but it's that kind of work that is very far away from being a chef in a restaurant. And if we were doing that kind of work with kitchen theory, we wouldn't have the Probably means or a bit of time and resources to be able to focus on these other kinds of projects
0: so, so uh, Joseph, I suppose just just in the last couple of minutes that, that, that brings us back to to this idea of there being a common a point of common connection, um, which in our case we 've been discussing hospitality and and, and, and care because if, if that 's clear, then that that 's a sort of constant, even when when the context changes radically, you've talked about different contexts you've explored. At the moment, this is the end of April, um, 2020, we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is why we're having this conversation remotely rather than in the same space. But, but for, for both of us, of course, there have been huge upheavals, haven't there, in the, in the medical world, it goes without saying, but I, I imagine in, in your world as well, that, that mean we're having to think differently perhaps about how to continue expressing what is most important to us, which I I think we can agree is is care for the people we we look after and we have a responsibility for the experience they have when they come to us. Um, But how we can maybe think of different ways of of expressing or conveying that, even when we're in the middle of turbulent times.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, the hospitality industry has been pretty hard hit. I would say we're going to see a lot of changes in the industry um, for people, because you know, you wanna take care of your staff, you wanna take care of your guests, you wanna make sure everyone, like people aren't going to enjoy an experience if they feel ill at ease at sitting in a restaurant. Um, I think after such an extended period of self-isolation and until there's some kind of a, a vaccine that's widespread, I think people will feel perhaps a little ill at ease or a little suspicious of going into a restaurant sitting too close to other people and mm. um, so I think there's going to be all sorts of ways like you know there'll be waiters with masks you'd expect that. Um, you will expect tables maybe being slightly further apart from each other and uh, shorter menus, less staff and all these kind but, of things.
0: I'm sure we can't, we, we, we can't second guess how things are going to how things are going to unfold but I think what we what we can confidently say is that at the centre of what we both do is this idea of care. <clears throat> and I'd like to finish really just, just by sort of summing up and saying that, that the purpose of this lecture was to explore the idea that restaurants and the world of medicine have, have a lot to, to learn from one another. Um, I started off by talking about those those rather specific things in operating theatres or kitchens or specifics about individual dishes or individual preparation. But, but, but it seems to me from our conversation that what's really coming out is that, is that this idea of hospitality and attending to the experience of somebody else for whom you have some kind of responsibility um, is, is what, what unites us and that although it's, those ideas are expressed in very different ways in our, in our two worlds, perhaps there's more that connects us than we at first supposed.
2: Most definitely. Well, I think we said, as you said, there's plenty of parallels between the kitchen and an the operating theatre, um, and it was fascinating to find, I guess, that there's it goes way beyond that.
0: So we've run out of time, but Joseph Youssef, thank you so much for taking part in this Cresham lecture.
2: Thank you very much. Bye. Have a good day.
0: Thank you for joining us. Goodbye.